Story number 17 of L. M. Montgomery Short Stories from 1909 through 1922. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elisa McCaslin, April 2011. Lucy Maud Montgomery Short Stories, 1909 through 1922, by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Garden of Spices. Jims tried the door of the blue room. Yes, it was locked. He had hoped Aunt Augusta might have forgotten to lock it. But when did Aunt Augusta forget anything? Except, perhaps, that little boys were not born grown-ups, and that was something she never remembered. To be sure, she was only a half-aunt. Whole aunts probably had more convenient memories. Jims turned and stood with his back against the door. It was better that way. He could not imagine things behind him then. And the blue room was so big and dim that a dreadful number of things could be imagined in it. All the windows were shuttered but one, and that one was so darkened by a big pine tree branching right across it that it did not let in much light. Jims looked very small and lost and lonely as he shrank back against the door, so small and lonely that one might have thought that even the sternest of half-ants should have thought twice before shutting him up in that room and telling him he must stay there the whole afternoon instead of going out for a promised ride. Jims hated being shut up alone, especially in the blue room. Its bigness and dimness and silence filled his sensitive little soul with vague horror. Sometimes he became almost sick with fear in it. To do Aunt Augusta justice, she never suspected this. If she had, she would not have decreed this particular punishment, because she knew Jims was delicate and must not be subjected to any great physical or mental strain. That was why she shut him up instead of whipping him. But how was she to know it? Aunt Augusta was one of those people who never know anything unless it is told them in plain language and then hammered into their heads. There was no one to tell her but Jims, and Jims would have died the death before he would have told Aunt Augusta, with her cold, speckled eyes and thin, smileless mouth, that he was desperately frightened when he was shut in the blue room. So he was always shut in it for punishment, and the punishments came very often, for Jims was always doing things that Aunt Augusta considered naughty. At first, this time, Jims did not feel quite so frightened as usual, because he was very angry. As he put it, he was very mad at Aunt Augusta. He hadn't meant to spill his pudding over the floor and the tablecloth and his clothes. And how such a little bit of pudding, Aunt Augusta was mean with desserts, could ever have spread itself over so much territory, Jims could not understand. But he had made a terrible mess, and Aunt Augusta had been very angry, and had said he must be cured of such carelessness. She said he must spend the afternoon in the blue room instead of going for a ride with Mrs. Loring in her new car. Jims was bitterly disappointed. If Uncle Walter had been home, Jims would have appealed to him. For when Uncle Walter could be really wakened up to a realization of his small nephew's presence in his home, he was very kind and indulgent. But it was so hard to waken him up that Jim seldom attempted it. He liked Uncle Walter, but as far as being acquainted with him went, he might as well have been the inhabitant of a star in the Milky Way. Jims was just a lonely, solitary little creature, and sometimes he felt so friendless that his eyes smarted and several sobs had to be swallowed. There were no sobs just now, though. Jims was still too angry. 
It wasn't fair. It was so seldom he got a car ride. Uncle Walter was always too busy attending to sick children all over the town to take him. It was only once in a blue moon Mrs. Loring asked him to go out with her, but she always ended up with ice cream or a movie, and today Jims had had strong hopes that both were on the program. "'I hate Aunt Augusta,' he said aloud, and then the sound of his voice in that huge still room scared him so that he only thought the rest. "'I won't have any fun, and she won't feed my gobbler either.' Jims had shrieked, "'Feed my gobbler!' to the old servant as he had been hauled upstairs. But he didn't think Nancy Jane had heard him, and nobody, not even Jims, could imagine Aunt Augusta feeding the gobbler. It was always a wonder to him that she ate herself.' It seemed really too human a thing for her to do. I wish I'd spilled that pudding on purpose, Jim said vindictively, and with the saying his anger evaporated. Jim's never could stay angry long, and left him merely a scared little fellow with velvety nut-brown eyes, full of fear that should have no place in a child's eyes. He looked so small and helpless as he crouched against the door that one might have wondered if even Aunt Augusta would not have relented had she seen him. How that window at the far end of the room rattled. It sounded terribly as if somebody or something were trying to get in. Jims looked desperately at the unshuttered window. He must get to it. Once there he could curl up in the window seat, his back to the wall, and forget the shadows by looking out into the sunshine and loveliness of the garden over the wall. Jims would have likely have been found dead of fright in that blue room some time had it not been for the garden over the wall. But to get to the window, Jims must cross the room and pass by the bed. Jims held that bed in special dread. It was the oldest-fashioned thing in the old-fashioned, old-furnitured house. It was high and rigid, and hung with gloomy blue curtains. Anything might jump out of such a bed. Jims gave a gasp and ran madly across the room. He reached the window and flung himself upon the seat. With a sigh of relief, he curled down in the corner. Outside, over the high brick wall, was a world where his imagination could roam, though his slender little body was pent a prisoner in the blue room. Jims had loved that garden from the first sight of it. He called it the Garden of Spices, and wove all sorts of yarns in fancy, yarns gay and tragic about it. He had only known it for a few weeks. Before that, they had lived in a much smaller house away at the other side of the town. Then Uncle Walter's uncle, who had brought him up just as he was bringing up Jim's, had died, and they had all come to live in Uncle Walter's old home. Somehow Jim's had an idea that Uncle Walter wasn't very glad to come back there, but he had too according to Great Uncle's will. Jim's himself didn't mind much. He liked the smaller rooms in their former home better, but the Garden of Spices made up for all. It was such a beautiful spot. Just inside the wall was a row of aspen poplars that always talked in silvery whispers and shook their dainty heart-shaped leaves at him. Beyond them, under scattered pines, was a rockery where ferns and wild things grew. It was almost as good as a bit of woods, and Jims loved the woods, though he scarcely ever saw them. Then, past the pines, were roses just breaking into June bloom. Roses in such profusion as Jim's hadn't known existed, with dear little paths twisting about among the bushes. 
It seemed to be a garden where no frost could blight or rough wind blow. When rain fell, it must fall very gently. Past the roses, one saw a green lawn, sprinkled over now with white ghosts of dandelions, and dotted with ornamental trees. The trees grew so thickly that they almost hid the house to which the garden pertained. It was a large one of gray-black stone, with stacks of huge chimneys. Jims had no idea who lived there. He had asked Aunt Augusta, and Aunt Augusta had frowned and told him it did not matter who lived there, and that he must never, on any account, mention the next house or its occupant to Uncle Walter. Jims would never have thought of mentioning them to Uncle Walter, but the prohibition filled him with an unholy and unsubduable curiosity. He was devoured by the desire to find out who the folks in that tabooed house were, and he longed to have the freedom of that garden. Jims loved gardens. There had been a garden at the little house, but there was none here. Nothing but an old lawn that had been fine once, but was now badly run to seed. Jims had heard Uncle Walter say that he was going to have it attended to, but nothing had been done yet. And meanwhile, there was a beautiful garden over the wall, which looked as if it should be full of children. But no children were ever in it, or anybody else, apparently. And so, in spite of its beauty, it had a lonely look that hurt Jims. He wanted his garden of spices to be full of laughter. He pictured himself running in it with imaginary playmates, and there was a mother in it, or a big sister, or at the least a whole aunt who would let you hug her and would never dream of shutting you up in chilly, shadowy, horrible blue rooms. It seems to me, said Jims, flattening his nose against the pane, that I must get into that garden or bust. Aunt Augusta would have said icily, We do not use such expressions, James, but Aunt Augusta was not there to hear. I'm afraid the very handsome cat isn't coming today, sighed Jims. Then he brightened up. The very handsome cat was coming across the lawn. He was the only living thing, barring birds and butterflies, that Jims ever saw in the garden. Jims worshipped that cat. He was jet black with white paws and dicky, and he had as much dignity as ten cats. Jim's fingers tingled to stroke him. Jim's had never been allowed to have even a kitten, because Aunt Augusta had a horror of cats, and you cannot stroke gobblers. The very handsome cat came through the rose garden path on his beautiful paws, ambled daintily around the rockery, and sat down in a shady spot under a pine tree, right where Jim's could see him, through a gap in the little poplars. He looked straight up at Jims and winked. At least Jims always believed and declared he did. And that wink said, or seemed to say plainly, Be a sport. Come down here and play with me. A fig for your Aunt Augusta. A wild, daring, absurd idea flashed into Jims' brain. Could he? He could. He would. He knew it would be easy. He had thought it all out many times, although until now, he had never dreamed of really doing it, to unhook the window and swing it open, to step out on the pine bough and from it to another that hung over the wall and dropped nearly to the ground, to spring from it to the velvet sword under the poplars. Why, it was all the work of a minute. With a careful repressed whoop, Jims ran towards the very handsome cat. The cat rose and retreated in deliberate haste. Jims ran after him. The cat dodged through the rose paths and eluded Jims' eager hands, 
just keeping tantalizingly out of reach. Jims had forgotten everything except that he must catch the cat. He was full of a fearful joy, with an elfin delight running through it. He had escaped from the blue room and its ghosts. He was in his garden of spices. He had got the better of mean old Aunt Augusta. But he must catch the cat. The cat ran over the lawn, and Jims pursued it through the green gloom of the thickly clustering trees. Beyond them came a pool of sunshine in which the old stone house basked like a huge gray cat itself. More garden was before it and beyond it, wonderful with blossom. Under a huge spreading beech tree in the center of it was a little tea table. Sitting by the table reading was a lady in a black dress. The cat, having lured Jims to where he wanted him, sat down and began to lick his paws. He was quite willing to be caught now, but Jims had no longer any idea of catching him. He stood very still, looking at the lady. She did not see him then, and Jims could only see her profile, which he thought very beautiful. She had wonderful ropes of blue-black hair wound around her head. She looked so sweet that Jim's heart beat. Then she lifted her head and turned her face and saw him. Jim's felt something of a shock. She was not pretty after all. One side of her face was marked by a dreadful red scar. It quite spoiled her good looks, which Jim's thought a great pity. But nothing could spoil the sweetness of her face or the loveliness of her peculiar soft gray-blue eyes. Jim's couldn't remember his mother and had no idea what she looked like, but the thought came into his head that he would have liked her to have eyes like that. After the first moment, Jim's did not mind the scar at all. But perhaps that first moment had revealed itself in his face, for a look of pain came into the lady's eyes, and almost involuntarily, it seemed, she put her hand up to hide the scar. Then she pulled it away again and sat looking at Jim's, half defiantly, half piteously. Jim's thought she must be angry because he had chased her cat. "'I beg your pardon,' he said gravely. "'I didn't mean to hurt your cat. I just wanted to play with him. He is such a very handsome cat.' "'But where did you come from?' said the lady. "'It is so long since I saw a child in this garden,' she added, as if to herself. Her voice was as sweet as her face. Jim's thought he was mistaken in thinking her angry, and plucked up heart of grace. Shyness was no fault of Jim's. "'I came from the house over the wall,' he said. "'My name is James Brander Churchill. Aunt Augusta shut me up in the blue room because I spilled my pudding at dinner. I hate to be shut up, and I was to have had a ride this afternoon, and ice cream, and maybe a movie. So I was mad.' And when your very handsome cat came and looked at me, I just got out and climbed down. He looked straight at her and smiled. Jim's had a very dear little smile. It seemed a pity there was no mother alive to revel in it. The lady smiled back. I think you did right, she said. You wouldn't shut a little boy up if you had one, would you, said Jim's. Oh, no, no, dear heart, I wouldn't, said the lady. She said it as if something hurt her horribly. She smiled again gallantly. "'Will you come here and sit down?' she added, pulling a chair out from the table. "'Thank you. I'd rather sit here,' said Jims, plumping down on the grass at her feet. "'Then maybe your cat will come to me.' The cat came over promptly and rubbed his head against Jims' knee. 
Jim stroked him delightedly. How lovely his soft fur felt and his round, velvety head. I like cats, explained Jims, and I have nothing but a gobbler. This is such a very handsome cat. What is his name, please? Black Prince. He loves me, said the lady. He always comes to my bed in the morning and wakes me up by patting my face with his paw. He doesn't mind my being ugly. She spoke with a bitterness Jims couldn't understand. But you're not ugly, he said. Oh, I am ugly. I am ugly, she cried. Just look at me. Right at me. Doesn't it hurt you to look at me? Jims looked at her gravely and dispassionately. No, it doesn't, he said. Not a bit, he added, after some further exploration of his consciousness. Suddenly the lady laughed beautifully. A faint rosy flush came into her unscarred cheek. James, I believe you mean it. Of course I mean it. And if you don't mind, please call me Jims. Nobody calls me James but Aunt Augusta. She isn't my whole aunt. She's just Uncle Walter's half-sister. He's my whole uncle. What does he call you? asked the lady. She looked away as she asked it. Oh, Jims, when he thinks about me. He doesn't often think about me. He has too many sick children to think about. Sick children are all Uncle Walter cares about. He's the greatest children doctor in the Dominion, Mr. Burroughs says, but he is a woman-hater. How do you know that? Oh, I heard Mr. Burroughs say it. Mr. Burroughs is my tutor, you know. I study with him from nine to one. I'm not allowed to go to the public school. I'd like to, but Uncle Walters thinks I'm not strong enough yet. I'm going next year, though, when I'm ten. I have holidays now. Mr. Burroughs always goes away the first of June. How came he to tell you your uncle was a woman-hater, persisted the lady. Oh, he didn't tell me. He was talking to a friend of his. He thought I was reading my book. So I was, but I heard it all. It was more interesting than my book. Uncle Walter was engaged to a lady long, long ago, when he was a young man. She was devilishly pretty. Oh, Jims. Mr. Burrow said so. I'm only quoting, said Jims easily, and Uncle Walter just worshipped her, and all at once she just jilted him without a word of explanation, Mr. Burroughs said, so that is why he hates women. It isn't any wonder, is it? I suppose not, said the lady with a sigh. Jims, are you hungry? Yes, I am. You see, the pudding was spilled, but how did you know? Oh, boys always used to be hungry when I knew them long ago. I thought they hadn't changed. I shall tell Martha to bring out something to eat, and we'll have it here under this tree. You sit here. I'll sit there. Jims, it's so long since I talked to a little boy that I'm not sure that I know how. You know how, all right, Jims assured her. But what am I to call you, please? My name is Miss Garland, said the lady a little hesitantly. But she saw the name meant nothing to Jims. I would like you to call me Miss Avery. Avery's my first name, and I never hear it nowadays. Now for a jamboree. I can't offer you a movie, and I'm afraid there isn't any ice cream either. I could have had some if I'd known you were coming, but I think Martha will be able to find something good. A very old woman, who looked at Jims with great amazement, came out to set the table. Jims thought she must be as old as Methuselah, but he did not mind her. 
He ran races with the black prince while tea was being prepared and rolled the delighted cat over and over in the grass. And he discovered a fragrant herb garden in a far corner and was delighted. Now it was truly a garden of spices. Oh, it is so beautiful here, he told Miss Avery, who sat and looked at his revels with a hungry expression in her lovely eyes. I wish I could come often. Why can't you? said Miss Avery. The two looked at each other with sly intelligence. I could come whenever Aunt Augusta shuts me up in the blue room, said Jims. Yes, said Miss Avery. Then she laughed and held out her arms. Jims flew into them. He put his arms about her neck and kissed her scarred face. Oh, I wish you were my aunt, he said. Miss Avery suddenly pushed him away. Jims was horribly afraid he had offended her. But she took his hand. We'll just be chums, Jim, she said. That's really better than being relations, after all. Come and have tea. Over that glorious tea-table they became lifelong friends. They had always known each other, and always would. The black prince sat between them, and was fed tidbits. There was such a lot of good things on the table, and nobody to say, You've had enough, James. James ate until he thought he had enough. Aunt Augusta would have thought he was doomed, could she have seen him. I suppose I must go back, said Jims with a sigh. It will be our supper time in half an hour, and Aunt Augusta will come to take me out. But she'll come again. Yes, the first time she shuts me up, and if she doesn't shut me up pretty soon, I'll be so bad she'll have to shut me up. I'll always set a place for you at the tea table after this, Jims, and when you're not here, I'll pretend you are. And when you can't come here, write me a letter and bring it when you do come. Goodbye, said Jims. He took her hand and kissed it. He had read of a young knight doing that, and had always thought he would like to try it if he ever got a chance. But who could dream of kissing Aunt Augusta's hands? You dear funny thing, said Miss Avery. Have you thought of how you are to get back? Can you reach that pine bough from the ground? Maybe I can jump, said Jims dubiously. I'm afraid not. I'll give you a stool, and you can stand on it. Just leave it there for future use. Goodbye, Jims. Jims, two hours ago I didn't know there was such a person in the world as you, and now I love you. I love you. Jims' heart filled with a great warm gush of gladness. He had always wanted to be loved. No living creature he felt sure loved him except his gobbler, and a gobbler's love is not very satisfying, though it is better than nothing. He was blissfully happy as he carried his stool across the lawn. He climbed his pine and went in at the window and curled up on the seat in a maze of delight. The blue room was more shadowy than ever, but that did not matter. Over in the Garden of Spices was friendship and laughter and romance galore. The whole world was transformed for Jims. From that time Jims lived a shamelessly double life. Whenever he was shut in the blue room, he escaped to the Garden of Spices, and he was shut in very often, for Mr. Burroughs being away, he got into a good deal of what Aunt Augusta called mischief. Besides, it is a sad truth that Jims didn't try very hard to be good now. He thought it paid better to be bad and be shut up. To be sure, there was always a fly in the ointment. He was haunted by a vague fear that Aunt Augusta might relent and come to the blue room before supper-time to let him out. And then the fat would be in the fire, said Jims. But he had a glorious summer, and throve so well on his new diet of love and companionship that one day, 
Uncle Walter, with fewer sick children to think about than usual, looked at him curiously and said, "'Augusta, that boy seems to be growing much stronger. He has a good color, and his eyes are getting to look more like a boy's eyes should. We'll make a man of you yet, Jims.' "'He may be getting stronger, but he's getting naughtier, too,' said Aunt Augusta grimly. "'I am sorry to say, Walter, that he behaves very badly.' "'We were all young once,' said Uncle Walter indulgently. "'Were you?' asked Jims in blank amazement. Uncle Walter laughed. "'Do you think me an antediluvian, Jims?' "'I don't know what that is, but your hair is gray and your eyes are tired,' said Jims uncompromisingly. Uncle Walter laughed again, tossed Jims a quarter, and went out. "'Your uncle is only forty-five, and in his prime,' said Aunt Augusta dourly. Jims deliberately ran across the room to the window, and under pretense of looking out, knocked down a flower-pot. So he was exiled to the blue room, and got into his beloved garden of spices, where Miss Avery's beautiful eyes looked loved into his, and the black prince was a jolly playmate, and old Martha petted and spoiled him to her heart's content. Jims never asked questions, but he was a wide-awake chap, and taking one thing with another, he found out a good deal about the occupants of the old stone house. Miss Avery never went anywhere, and no one ever went there. She lived all alone, with two old servants, man and maid. Except these two and Jims, nobody had ever seen her for twenty years. Jims didn't know why, but he thought it must be because of the scar on her face. He never referred to it, but one day Miss Avery told him what caused it. I dropped a lamp, and my dress caught fire and burned my face, Jims. It made me hideous. I was beautiful before that, very beautiful. Everybody said so. Come in, and I'll show you my picture. She took him into her big parlor and showed him the picture hanging on the wall between the two high windows. It was of a young girl in white. She certainly was very lovely, with her rose-leaf skin and laughing eyes. Jims looked at the pictured face gravely, with his hands in his pockets and his head on one side. Then he looked at Miss Avery. "'You were prettier then, yes,' he said, judicially. "'But I like your face ever so much better now.' "'Oh, Jims, you can't,' she protested. "'Yes, I do,' persisted Jims. "'You look kinder and nicer now.' It was the nearest Jims could get to expressing what he felt as he looked at the picture. The young girl was beautiful, but her face was a little hard. There was pride and vanity and something of the insolence of great beauty in it. There was nothing of that in Miss Avery's face now, nothing but sweetness and tenderness and a motherly yearning to which every fiber of Jim's small being responded. How they loved each other, those two, and how they understood each other. To love is easy, and therefore common, but to understand how rare that is, and oh, such good times as they had. They made taffy. Jim's had always longed to make taffy, but Aunt Augusta's immaculate kitchen and saucepans might not be so desecrated. They read fairy tales together. Mr. Burroughs had disapproved of fairy tales. They blew soap bubbles out on the lawn and let them float away over the garden and the orchard like fairy balloons. They had glorious afternoon teas under the beech tree. They made ice cream themselves. Jim's even slid down the banister when he wanted to, and he could try out a slang word or two occasionally without anybody dying of horror. Miss Avery did not seem to mind it a bit. At first, Miss Avery always wore dark, somber dresses, but one day Jims found her in a pretty gown of pale primrose silk. 
It was very old and old-fashioned, but Jims did not know that. He capered round her in delight. "'You like me better in this?' she asked wistfully. "'I like you just as well no matter what you wear,' said Jims. "'But that dress is awfully pretty.' "'Would you like me to wear bright colors, Jims?' "'You bet I would,' said Jims emphatically. After that she always wore them, pink and primrose and blue and white, and she let Jims wreath flowers in her splendid hair. He had quite a knack of it. She never wore any jewelry except always a little gold ring with a design of two clasped hands. A friend gave that to me long ago when we were boy and girl together at school, she told Jims once. I never take it off, night or day. When I die, it is to be buried with me. You mustn't die till I do, said Jims in dismay. Oh, Jims, if we could only live together, nothing else would matter, she said hungrily. Jims, Jims, I see so little of you, really, and some day soon you'll be going to school, and I'll lose you. I've got to think of some way to prevent it, cried Jims. I won't have it. I won't. I won't. But his heart sank notwithstanding. One day Jim slipped from the blue room, down the pine and across the lawn, with a tear-stained face. "'Aunt Augusta is going to kill my gobbler,' he sobbed to Miss Savory's arms. "'She says she isn't going to bother with him any longer, and he's getting old, and he's to be killed, and that gobbler's the only friend I have in the world except you. Oh, I can't stand it, Miss Avery.' Next day Aunt Augusta told him the gobbler had been sold and taken away and Jims flew into a passion of tears and protest about it and was promptly incarcerated in the blue room. A few minutes later, a sobbing boy plunged through the trees and stopped abruptly. Miss Avery was reading under the beech, and the black prince was snoozing on her knee, and a big, magnificent bronze turkey was parading about on the lawn, twisting his huge fan of a tail this way and that. "'My gobbler!' cried Jims. "'Yes, Martha went to your uncle's house and bought him. "'Oh, she didn't betray you. "'She told Nancy Jane she wanted a gobbler, "'and having seen one over there, thought perhaps she could get him. "'See, here's your pet, Jims, "'and here he shall live till he dies old age, "'and I have something else for you. "'Edward and Martha went across the river yesterday "'to the Murray Kennels and got it for you.' "'Not a dog!' exclaimed Jims. "'Yes, a dear little bull pup. "'He shall be your very own, Jims, "'and I only stipulate that you reconcile the black prince to him.' "'It was something of a task, but Jim succeeded, "'then followed a month of perfect happiness. "'At least three afternoons a week they contrived to be together. "'It was all too good to be true,' Jims felt. "'Something would happen soon to spoil it. Just suppose Aunt Augustus grew tender-hearted and ceased to punish, or suppose she suddenly discovered that he was growing too big to be shut up. Jims began to stint himself in eating lest he grew too fast, and then Aunt Augusta worried about his loss of appetite and suggested to Uncle Walter that he should be sent to the country till the hot weather was over. Jims didn't want to go to the country now because his heart was elsewhere. He must eat again. If he grew like a weed, it was all very harassing. Uncle Walter looked at him keenly. Seems to me you're looking pretty fit, Jims. Do you want to go to the country? No, please. Are you happy, Jims? Sometimes. A boy should be happy all the time, Jims. If I had a mother and someone to play with, I would be. I have tried to be a mother to you, Jim, said Aunt Augusta in an offended tone. 
Then she addressed Uncle Walter. A younger woman would probably understand him better, and I feel that the care of this big place is too much for me. I would prefer to go to my own old home. If you had married long ago, as you should, Walter, James would have had a mother and some cousins to play with. I have always been of this opinion. Uncle Walter frowned and got up. "'Just because one woman played you false is no good reason for spoiling your life,' went on Aunt Augusta, severely. "'I have kept silence all these years, but now I am going to speak, and speak plainly. You should marry, Walter. You are young enough yet, and you owe it to your name.' "'Listen, Augusta,' said Uncle Walter sternly. "'I loved a woman once. I believe she loved me.' She sent me back my ring one day, and with it a message saying she had ceased to care for me, and bidding me never to try to look upon her face again. Well, I have obeyed her, that is all. There was something strange about all that, Walter. The life she has since led proves that, so you should not let it embitter you against all women. I haven't. It's nonsense to say I'm a woman-hater, Augusta, but that experience has robbed me of the power to care for another woman. "'Well, this isn't a proper conversation for a child to hear,' said Aunt Augusta, recollecting herself. "'Jims, go out.' Jims would have given one of his ears to stay and listen with the other, but he went obediently. And then, the very next day, the dreaded something happened. It was the first of August, and very, very hot. Jims was late coming to dinner, and Aunt Augusta reproved him, and Jims deliberately and with malice aforethought, told her he thought she was a nasty old woman. He had never been saucy to Aunt Augusta before, but it was three days since he had seen Miss Avery and the Black Prince and Nip, and he was desperate. Aunt Augusta crimsoned with anger and doomed Jims to an afternoon in the blue room for impertinence. And I shall tell your uncle when he comes home, she added. That rankled, for Jims didn't want Uncle Walter to think him impertinent, but he forgot all his worries as he scampered through the garden of spices to the beech tree, and there Jim stopped as if he had been shot. Prone on the grass under the beech tree, white and cold and still, lay his Miss Avery, dead, stone dead. At least Jim's drought she was dead. He flew into the house like a mad thing, shrieking for Martha. Nobody answered. Jims recollected with a rush of sickening dread that Miss Avery had told him Martha and Edward were going away that day to visit a sister. He rushed blindly across the lawn again, through the little side gate he had never passed before, and down the street home. Uncle Walter was just opening the door of his car. "'Uncle Walter, come, come!' sobbed Jims, clutching frantically at his hand. "'Miss Avery's dead, dead! Oh, come quick!' "'Who is dead?' "'Miss Avery, Miss Avery Garland. "'She's lying on the grass over there in her garden, "'and I love her so, and I'll die too. "'Oh, Uncle Walter, come!' "'Uncle Walter looked as if he wanted to ask some questions, "'but he said nothing. "'With a strange face he hurried after Jim's. "'Miss Avery was still lying there. "'As Uncle Walter bent over her, "'he saw the broad red scar and started back with an exclamation. "'She is dead,' gasped Jim's. No, said Uncle Walter, bending down again. No, she has only fainted, Jims. Overcome by the heat, I suppose. I want help. Go and call somebody. There's no one home here today, said Jims, in a spasm of joy so great that it shook him like a leaf. 
then go home and telephone over to mr loring's tell them i want the nurse who is there to come here for a few minutes jims did his errand uncle walter and the nurse carried miss avery into the house and then jims went back to the blue room he was so unhappy he didn't care where he went he wished something would jump at him out of the bed and put an end to him everything was discovered now and he would never see miss avery again jims lie very still on the window seat he did not even cry he had come to one of the griefs that lie too deep for tears i think i must have been put under a curse at birth thought poor jims over at the stone house miss avery was lying on the couch in her room the nurse had gone away and dr walter was sitting looking at her he leaned forward and pulled away the hand with which she was hiding the scar in her face he looked first at the little gold ring on the hand and then at the scar don't she said piteously avery why did you do it why did you do it oh you know you must know now walter avery did you break my heart and spoil my life and your own simply because your face was scarred i couldn't bear to have you see me hideous she moaned you had been so proud of my beauty i i thought you couldn't love me any more I couldn't bear the thought of looking in your eyes and seeing aversion there. Walter Grant leaned forward. Look in my eyes, Avery. Do you see any aversion? Avery forced herself to look. What she saw covered her face with a hot blush. Did you think my love such a poor and superficial thing, Avery, he said sternly, that it must vanish because a blemish came on your fairness? Do you think that would change me? Was your own love for me so slight? no no she sobbed i have loved you every moment of my life walter oh don't look at me so sternly if you had even told me he said you said i was never to try to look on your face again and they told me you had gone away you sent me back my ring i kept the old one she interrupted holding out her hand the first one you ever gave me do you remember walter when we were boy and girl you robbed me of all that made life worth while avery do you wonder that i've been a bitter man i was wrong i was wrong she sobbed i should have believed in you but don't you think i've paid too forgive me walter it's too late to atone but forgive me is it too late he asked gravely she pointed to the scar could you endure seeing this opposite you every day at your table she asked bitterly yes if i could see your sweet eyes and your beloved smile with it avery he answered passionately oh avery it was you i loved not your outward favor oh how foolish you were foolish and morbid you always put too high a value on your beauty avery if i had dreamed of the true state of the case if i had known you were here all these years why i heard a rumor long ago that you had married avery but if i had known i would have come to you and made you be sensible she gave a little laugh at his lame conclusion that was so like the old walter then her eyes filled with tears as he took her in his arms the door of the blue room opened jims did not look up it was aunt augusta of course and she had heard the whole story jim's boy jim's lifted his miserable eyes it was uncle walter but a different uncle walter an uncle walter with laughing eyes and a strange radiance of youth about him 
"'Poor lonely little fellow,' said Uncle Walter unexpectedly. "'Jims, would you like Miss Avery to come here and live with us, always, and be your real aunt?' "'Great snake!' said Jims, transformed in a second. "'Is there any chance of that?' "'There is a certainty, thanks to you,' said Uncle Walter. "'You can go over to see her for a little while. "'Don't talk her to death. She's weak yet. "'And attend to that menagerie of yours over there. "'She's worrying because the bulldog and gobbler weren't fed. "'And Jims?' "'But Jims had swung down through the pine "'and was tearing across the Garden of Spices.' End of Garden of Spices